0: Anger is an emotion, you know, often we call it a secondary emotion. Anger is secondary because the primary emotion that we're feeling is hurt, is woundedness. And so the anger arises out of that woundedness, but particularly anger is a tension that we feel because we we get hurt, but we want to take care of ourselves, but we don't know how to do that. And then there's this tension that arises and that attention, once we start reacting to it, becomes anger.
1: What makes you angry? How does anger show up in your body? And once tempers have fled, voices have been raised, teeth have been clenched, where do you go next? Anger shows up in all of our lives, to varying degrees and for varying reasons. We rage at our politicians, rage against our broken hearts, Rage against systems that produce inequality, racism, homophobia, and misogyny. And while it can drive us, show us where the hurt is, anger is a volatile and unreliable tool. We're often not in charge of it as much as we maybe like to believe that we are. So what is there to learn about it? How can we use that energy to sustain us to protect ourselves and the ones we love, rather than it burning us to a crisp. Teacher, author, and activist, Lama Rod Owens is the guest on today's podcast. The term Lama is an honorific title for Tibetan Buddhist teacher, which Lama Rod is. He's an alumni of the Harvard Divinity School, he's written books, he's an incredible teacher, and throughout all of it, Lama Rod brings all of himself to the work that he does, his upbringing in the church, his activism, his race, his gender, his sexuality, and for his most recent book, his anger. Welcome to Storyteller, a podcast about how and why we tell stories. I'm your host, Lisa Golden. In this show, you get to hear from some of the world's most interesting and passionate storytellers, so from writers to journalists, from historians to scientists, and my hope is that together, you and me, we can learn more about what drives these amazing people's curiosity, what sustains them through difficult times, and how they find and make meaning in the world. I really do believe that we're all storytellers, whether you do it from the international stage or whether you write a best selling book or if you just bring hope and guidance from your kitchen table so we all have anger, and funnily enough, a conversation about anger it just brought me so much joy. it made me feel so seen, I felt so understood, it made me think about how I need to like flex and channel and bring new attention in my life when anger does show up because. It's actually more effective to have anger, feel your anger, because it means you are staying connected to what's hurting you. And that means you, you are forced to look at it, or you choose to look at it rather, which then means you're not spending all your energy holding it at arm's length, shutting it down, and then eventually burning out. I learned a lot about myself in this conversation, and that's what great teachers do. And I think Lama Rod is one of the greats. Before we begin, as always, please do share this podcast with anyone you think will like it. Please share it on social media if you're so inclined. Um, If you're not the social media kind of person, I'm sometimes not myself, you can just always send me an email, um, which I will list at the end of the show, and you can find in the show notes. I still love to hear what people are getting out of the podcast. I... I sit here each week, and it can feel a bit weird, like I'm sort of speaking into the void, but then the void speaks back sometimes, and it really can make my heart sing. So yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch. Now on to my conversation with Lama Rod Owens. Amirad, thank you so much for joining me on Storyteller today. I do like just to start the interview with asking if you consider yourself a storyteller.
0: I do. I do. I love telling stories as a a way to teach and to communicate, you know, some of these kind of heavier philosophies in, in Buddhism. I just think stories are transformative and stories are liberatory. And I think that You know, also, I think storytelling is such an important form of liberation, you know, particularly social Mm -hmm. liberation as well. And it just creates this really beautiful connection and intimacy um, between people. So I love that. I love storytelling. I love listening to stories. I love telling stories as well
1: yeah and I think you know what I'm what I'm trying to do with the podcast is looking at I think the it's sort of a little bit of a like seeing the matrix moment but when you sort of start realizing how
0: Uh
1: everything is built around stories it's such a beautiful like way to realize how open things are to change when you realize how fluid stories are so your Uh book is called love and rage a path of liberation and anger Uh um I just finished it yesterday I I just, I mean, start off by saying thank you for writing it. It's it's such an incredible book for our times. I, I was actually quite curious about when you started writing it because it seems like the perfect 2020 <laughs> book, but it came out um, mid 2020. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So in the one in the in in the book, you you call it um a love song to your anger. So yeah. could you mm-hmm. could you just tell me a bit about what led you to write the book? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, it was. Uh, after the 2016 <clears throat> elections here in the States um, and how, you know, right after the elections, people were feeling super angry, super disappointed, very heartbroken. But anger was, of course, the dominant emotion people were, were experiencing. And so as I, you know, set with folks and groups and so forth, as I do... People kept asking me questions about anger over and over and over again. And I just felt like anger was something that I needed to address mm. um, over time. And I, I wasn't, like, excited about it because I didn't really think that I had anything interesting to say about anger. Yeah. But I committed to writing the book anyway And as I wrote the book, I, you know, soon, soon I realized that I, you know, this was going to be a very different book, that this wasn't a self-help book, or a mindfulness book or anything like that. It was actually, you know, uh, a storybook. Yeah. You know, it was just like me telling stories about how I have been in relationship to my anger through... Um, the practice of meditation in buddhism
1: yeah
0: um and so it came so it came out of of the elections but you know i think so much of what i do is in a way telling the future you know yeah. so it, yeah. it's just it's about thinking ahead you know and i think when you're writing a book it's easy to get stuck in the present.
1: yeah
0: and just write a book for the moment But I knew that in order for the book to continue living beyond the moment, I had to anticipate where where folks were going to head into. And so I knew that that was what I was trying to do, was to write a book that would be relevant um, for years.
1: Yeah. And then, I mean, talk about relevance, like this past Mm -hmm. um, summer, which just felt, which was just such an explosion of trauma and anger and rage and and fear and I just I would be really interested could you break down for us like because I think what I I so enjoyed about the book was you know there's obviously there's a certain sort of or you hope there's a certain sort of familiarity with different emotions that you think that you have and I think the connection between fear and anger um mm-hmm. what has never became so much clearer to me again so could you just tell me from 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 your perspective and i guess a buddhist perspective like how do we how do we approach and understand anger and then sort of how are they related to fear
0: yeah yeah you know and anger is an emotion you know often we call it a secondary emotion mm. and that's that's the point that i really kind of embrace in my theory of anger where Anger is secondary because the primary emotion that we're feeling is hurt, is woundedness. Mm, mm. And so the anger arises out of that woundedness. But particularly anger is a tension that we feel because we, we get hurt, but we want to take care of ourselves, but we don't know how to do that. Yeah. And then there's this tension that arises and that attention, once we start reacting to it, becomes anger mm,
1: interesting. You know, for us. Yeah,
0: you know and so that was the basic theory that that I went into the book with and tried to to really lay out you know and and the fear you know for me there's all kinds of, of fear absolutely but a basic definition of fear that I'm working with is anxiety about the future mm-hmm. um, so that's one kind of fear and for me just you know just being you know um, in the world, the past, well, just not this year, but the past few years, there's been for me so much anxiety about, about what's happening next. Yeah. You know, yeah. like what's going to happen next year? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? And it still continues because we're in such a volatile, volatile like position right now, yeah. you know, where it's like, okay, what's going to happen today? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, that fear for me is also um, an expression of my hurt Mm, as mm. well. Um, So, so all that's happening, but also like another way to think about fear is that we're also afraid of our anger. Mm. You know, we're afraid of ourselves. We're afraid of our minds. We're afraid of our emotions. That fear is kind of. An energy of aversion, so it's like we're pushing things away because we don't want to deal with it, or we believe we don't have the capacity to mm. work with it. And so if you're always pushing something away, like your anger, then of course, it's going to be out of control. Right? You know, yeah. and as I talk about in the book, you're going to lose agency. Well,
1: yeah, yeah. I thought it was cool. I, I really loved in your book how you spoke about sort of um, passive aggression being your sort of <laughs> yeah. your default way. Because I, I, what was really interesting is I actually I sort of thought as a as a white woman in 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 those, I guess that is how I would say myself and definitely anyone I can think of yeah. was how yeah. you expressed anger towards white men, I guess, in terms yeah. of that sort of awful tot- yeah. totem pole. But it just, could you yeah. tell me a bit about that? Cause it, it sort of made me laugh mm-hmm. in it, but it also just brought home. I was like, Oh wow. There's actually frustrated rage coming out in this other form, which I guess I hadn't really thought about it that way before.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. And for me, um, when I was growing up, I just, you know, I just was taught that it was really unsafe for me yeah. to express anger. Mm. And, you know, I was taught it and I also saw what what being disciplined mm. looked like, you know, yeah. um, expressing anger. And I, we see it over and over again in the media. Um, and so I just felt like, well, maybe a safer way to do this was to 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 be passive aggressive. And I felt powerful. Actually, mm-hmm. I felt way more powerful expressing passive aggression than I did anger. Because I, with passive aggressiveness, I felt like I could get more,
1: yeah,
0: out of this energy. It's a lot you know, more controlled, it, it, right?
1: Like, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So much more control, and it, it didn't feel exhausting. Um, and it felt like I was cheating the system somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of like pushing against the system with this anger, I was going to like sneak up around it you (laughs) Mm. know into the back door and just like get whatever i wanted but you know that the the thing with passive aggressiveness is that it just it creeps into all of your relationships and so you lose the ability at least for me i lost the ability over years to to really have a sense of how i actually felt
1: yeah
0: you know and not only that i i lost the ability to actually connect to anger Mm. And when I, and I, when I lost connection to that, that energy, it just, it, it turned into, to other forms of suffering for me. Um, and I was really lucky and fortunate to have people who loved me, you know, and, and, you know, advanced, you know, long-term practitioners, meditators who came to me and helped me to start this work of reclaiming anger.
1: been thinking so much about what passive aggression is it's really interesting and how people who would be punished for showing their anger for showing their hurt um have found other ways to let it out like coded ways that can make you feel powerful but in the end uh also do the job of cutting you off from the alarm system that is your anger next i asked lama rod about how he brought together these two kind of walls buddhism and anger so from the outside the world of buddhism is kind of like from an outsider's point of view it can kind of seem a bit otherworldly it sort of seems sort of stripped of anger there's a lot of smiling everyone looks calm and serene i know that's a really superficial view but i'm just saying from the outside looking in um can sort of seem a bit es- esoteric and detached uh so i asked him how he connects that world of buddhism with his lived reality of his own activism politics and 21st century america could you speak to that tension of mm-hmm. i guess buddhism and activism mm-hmm. and anger and mm-hmm. anger as a as a fuel for activism because yeah. i completely understand understand that and i i hear a lot about the exhaustion it's like a, it's like a cheap fuel you know what yeah. i mean it doesn't it doesn't yeah. keep you going and it yeah, cause a lot of damage, but it's also very hard to yeah. to look at people's pain and 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 not almost want to react with anger. I guess yeah. so. Could you speak a bit to that tension and how you've learned to encompass hold both of these things together?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I think like I'll just begin like with just looking at Buddhism and really <clears throat> the common. Are the the more emphasized, I would say, teaching in a lot of mainstream Western Buddhist communities is that anger is wrong, right? Mm. <clears throat> that anger should be avoided, and it's not that that's being made up because that's you know those are the early teachings, the early schools of, of Buddhism really advocated a kind of a of getting rid of anger. Mm. Um, I was trained in the later schools of Buddhism, which um, Kind of bring together um, other spiritual movements. The view around anger in, in the later traditions is that we should work with anger directly and use the mm-hmm. energy to get things yeah. done, right? And so that's where I come from. But when, you know, when I come into activism, activism, you know, was my first discipline. You know, social justice, yeah. social criticism um, was something that I was heavily involved in. Well before you know I got into yeah. Dharma, and was really involved with as I was transitioning into Buddhism, I I began to understand that it was love and compassion that had to drive me into helping people, into disrupting systems of violence. Not the anger. The anger is there to inform me. The anger is there to let me know that something's wrong. Yeah. You know, and anger can be this really beautiful energy that helps us to push. Through things, right? Yeah. It can help us to push through the 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 fear, you know, um, that we may um, experience doing this work. But it's really the compassion first, where you know, compassion asks us to pay attention to the discomfort, mm-hmm. and suffering of people around us, but we're also paying attention to our own suffering and discomfort, right? And yeah. that and that's what keeps me connected to struggle. Right. You know, and then mm. love is like this energy, this wish of, you know, just wanting people to be free, to, to be happy. Right. And I, so I use that energy to, to in collaboration with compassion. You know, in many ways, love and compassion are really not that different, mm. you know, in, in its expression. Um, but still, I try to bring both of those together into an expression that keeps me connected and it keeps me. It just it it keeps me from shutting down and Mm. numbing down. Right. And it keeps me and because I can stay open, I also have the sensitivity that helps me to take care of myself. And what I begin to notice in the work is that there are a lot of burnout people. Yeah. There are a lot of people who started out really strongly and they burn out. You know, we had this joke when I was younger you know doing you know direct activism is that oh people like burn out and then they go to law school you know <laughs> <laughs> you know or like they get married and buy a house or that you know they go into yeah. america like because i i you know that wasn't an exaggeration because i met so many people who were these really committed activists and got burned out and just said you know what i need something easier yeah.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, 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 you know? Sounds like journalism as well. Yeah, <laughs>
0: just yeah exactly. Yeah. And so I really when I began to get interested, you know, in in the meditation, I really took that seriously and said, Okay, how can I stay sustain sustainable?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, in this work. You know, of course the work has changed, absolutely. Like I'm not every day out on the streets, you know, disrupting risking arrest. Um but my activism I feel is still strong because, you know, I'm staying connected to the hurts, you know? Mm. And I'm I've learned how to take care of myself, right? So sometimes I have to refrain from the work to to experience some restoration, then I return back to the work, you know, of doing this work of of, of educating and you know and trying to to bring awareness mm. to to the systems. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think I think that brings us to like a really important uh, point in your book as well, which is about boundaries, because yeah. I think um, what I what I also found really interesting w- to read was that you are so honest and open and and such an excellent storyteller in the book mm-hmm. and like use your, your own life and your own stories to explain concepts that I think sometimes in um, Buddhist teaching can be a bit abstract and can yeah. be a bit hard to sort of yes. relate to your own life. So could you tell me a little bit about how you use boundaries and how I guess different cuz I guess you have all these different aspects to your personality and your um, identity yes. like we all do but you're also a teacher and an activist so mm-hmm. how do you look after yourself as yeah. well as keep the work going
0: Yeah yeah and that's been <clears throat> it, it's it's been a, that's been a really tough part of the practice I I you know of course I've come a long way and I think I do it well now but maintaining boundaries and self-care self-preservation is, is a balance mm-hmm. you know and so every moment it, I have to ask myself okay what do I need yep. right now you know and I think that's the question we started with and that's a question we ask ourselves continuously yeah you know like every I mean literally like every second you know or every minute or whatever, like as many times as you can throughout the day, just stop and take a break and say, okay, what do I need right now? Right? Do I need water? Mm -hmm. Do I need a break? Do I need a nap? Do I need to call someone, you know, so I can get some support? Right? Or do I need to go and zone out? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, because whatever I'm doing right now is too intense. I mean, just stopping and asking has been really um, asking myself what I need has been really quite important um, in self-care and it's also really struggling to believe that I deserve mm-hmm. to, to be cared for Interesting, you know so I I deserve to receive care you know and not only do I deserve to receive care I also want to be a part of caring for others
1: yeah
0: as well and so it's both for me like I can't I can't care for others if I don't care for myself, Mm. you know? And so that's another reflection that we, we come back to. It's like, well, if I don't take care of myself, then how am I going to do really important work that I believe in? Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah.
0: But there's so much guilt with self-care. It really is. And I get it because I think so many of us are really scared to do something
1: self-indulgent,
0: you know, that may create more, Suffering for others, Mm -hmm. right? You know, they take up more resources that other people may need, and so again, it's a balance. You know, I I have to take what I need in order to give to others what they need. Yeah. You know, and and you have to hold the space for this deep discomfort that comes with caring for ourselves, and it's also a lot of discomfort that comes up asking others to care for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well. Especially, I think, if a lot of people have built significant parts of their identity around their ability to look after other people,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. To be, like, independent and powerful, you know, which is a trap. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's, there's no yeah. faster way to run yourself down by buying into that narrative mm-hmm. that, like, I don't need anyone else to be well.
1: How powerful is that the discomfort of caring for ourselves and the discomfort of asking others to care for us what a year for us to learn more about that discomfort next up i asked about how the u.s election and let's be honest u.s politics and culture in general has brought both great anger and division into the world as well as renewed belief and energy around activism considering the election so mm-hmm. I mean a primer is you know I think the whole world as much as we do not want to uh, be dragged along for the ride we all are right. <laughs> we, send, right. we send a lot you know and it was so funny this is my first uh, news cycle that I've actually been out of a newsroom um, okay. and and I was like I'm not doing it I'm not I'm just it's fine <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. not going to read the news and then of course I, you know with the time difference on our side as well I was up at like four in the morning being like has it happened <laughs> has it happened <laughs> Um and you know, in terms of our conversation, I think the first thought that I had was A, it was just definitely not the overwhelming win I think a lot of us were hoping for. But um I then also wondered I is 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 there a fear I, I guess I was worried about the anger being lost and and that momentum being lost because i think most people would say there's still a huge amount of work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. um so yeah i'd just be curious to know how you think about that about um if we will if there will be a loss of momentum Mm -hmm. if there isn't this immediate like fear and threat that then fuels the anger that then fuels the activism
0: yeah yeah well i I I do believe that there will be some loss of momentum because, you know, Trump losing was what a lot of people wanted. Mm. Um, And so you get that and then you're like, okay, no more work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I get that, right? You know, and, but also we're still in the midst of everything. Like everything is still happening. Mm. So I think that on the other hand i think we're going to continue to see a lot of momentum actually and i think that what's happened this year is that and which what I, which is what i'm excited about there are so many people who have really crossed this point of no return which means that they they know and understand too much now mm. in a way that they never had have understood it before, you know? And so I think that there's been a fundamental shift in many communities, you know, and that will impact how we move forward in bringing about the culture the society that we really want to see. I really believe that, Um, you know, and I, it's, I, if I just look at my experience, it's been a really fundamental shift in how I'm choosing to move forward, mm-hmm. you know, in my work as well that I don't think would have, it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this year. It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this administration. Yeah. Um,
1: Could you tell me a bit about what, what that shift looked like?
0: Looks yeah. Like. Well, it's. Well, it, it produced love and rage. Like that was the first mm, shift. Okay. you know. But it, yeah. it's, it's forced me to go much, much more deeper into the nuances of this work of bringing together like spirituality, meditation with the work of justice. And it's helped me to fine tune certain things, right? And it's helped me mm. to personally, on a really like super personal level, it's helped me to become much more The person that i want to be Mm -hmm. you know um like so much of what i love to explore is contradictions and Mm -hmm. so i am i'm letting go of this idea of perfection yeah you know and and letting go of the ideal um states you know, and and the ideal state in terms of like the ideal like social arrangement, the ideal like social community. You know, I think communities will always be kind of like struggling in certain ways. You know, yeah. so I'm, I'm not tr- I'm no longer trying to get to a utopia. I'm trying okay. to get to something much more realistic, mm. right? And to, that honors the complexity of human minds and bodies, you know mm-hmm. that live together in communities. You yeah. Know? Um, but another huge shift too that has come out of this is that like I, I feel like I'm really not interested in a, any longer in trying to and in, in trying to dialogue or have relationships with people who don't like me who, mm-hmm. who <laughs> continually work and, and vote against my self-interest. You yeah. know, because in reality when people vote against my self interest, they're also voting against their self interest.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And so I just um, don't feel as if I have the energy to do that reaching out any longer.
1: Anymore. Yeah. I had a um, a British writer called Atega Yewagba on the podcast last mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. And um, she's just written a book now called Whites. Um, which which is about um, everything that happened over the summer and, and just her her approach to dealing with white people now. And the best quote that I got out of it, which was she said, I'm not interested in being an allyship coach for white people. Yeah, And I just thought that was such a powerful statement of intent, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed, which I also think will be something quite powerful coming out of this time is that that's, that idea of being like, okay, we don't have to um, – we're not – the work – we can hand the work over. Like, I think what I liked about what, what she was saying, she was like, there's books out there. There's mm-hmm. people who are willing to teach you this stuff. Yeah. I don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. And I'm going to just get on with my life. So I think yeah. that is quite a powerful like idea of, I guess, again, it's what you said about boundaries, right? It's just being like, okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. I, mm-hmm. I did try. I'm just going to mm-hmm. draw a line under that.
0: Yeah. 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 I just, you know, because that trying is really about compromising what I need. You know, it's just there's always this expectation that that people of color, you know, it's like our job to create harmony. It's our job to you know to reach across the divide, and we have we're always continuously giving up things and losing things to do that work. And I think the shift that we've gone through this year actually is really one of the impacts has been people actually entering into this, this kind of boundary work that, you know, where, where we're saying, okay, you know what, I, I just can't do this anymore because I give up too much. I lose too mm-hmm. much. I really want to take care of myself, you know, and now you have to hold people accountable to do their work. yeah You know, it's like, well, why don't other people reach out to us and ask us, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, I think that's gonna that's a that's a really fundamental shift that I think will well I think I think it's gonna result in in healthier communities for more marginalized communities now yeah you know? yeah
1: and I liked um I think this was in a, a uh, I listened uh, to a few of your talks and I listened to the one that you did at Google and I, I just thought mm. there was a really the one thing that really rang true to me was the idea of um, being uncomfortable together without running away. Yeah. I think I thought that was the most powerful because that that was the f- the first thing I've heard in a while that sort of rang to my experience at least. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that's that's the words of what it is of just showing up and being a bit like, this is uncomfortable, but I'm not gonna a make you take it on and b right. I'm not gonna run away. We and I can't fix it either, but we'll just have to sit here and just be a little bit uncomfortable. But at least we're here together. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely.
1: So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, Lisa, well, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not an activist. I don't meditate. So now what? (laughs) What do I do? What do I do with all this rage? This anger when it does show up in my life. But don't worry, I've got your back. I do ask Lama Rod what us regular Joes can do when anger does show up in our lives and and how we can think of new ways to cope with it. And I also share my own experience of how anger shows up in my life. Um, I did that... Because I think, I don't want people to think that this is some sort of removed conversation that's only for activists and Buddhists and, you know, people who've, who've, who are dealing with, you know, huge issues. I just talk about, like, feeling cross with my husband. <laughs> very relatable anger i'm sure um you know anger towards people that you love i just i wanted to just talk about you know that that we've got great anger we've got great rage of course but we also just have anger showing up in our lives in normal ways So, um, for, for people, okay. So let's, um, assuming let's say someone who's listening, who's like not, doesn't know much about Buddhism, maybe doesn't meditate. Um, from, from, from that meditation side, like how, how would you help people? Like how if someone's listening to this now and they're like, Oh, I don't really think about my anger or my rage wow. or it's sort of fueling itself into mm-hmm. all these other things. Mm-hmm. What, what, do, what is it? How does it show up in your body? And I guess what would you suggest mm-hmm. for someone who's not a practitioner to sort mm-hmm. of notice it coming up in their body and and like, I guess, labeling it or, yeah. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah you know, it's, I think we can over mystify meditation quite mm. a bit. Um, <laughs> and I just, I really believe in just like demystifying, making it really a very simple, very direct. But all meditation is just paying attention, and just noticing. Mm. You know, for me it's it's asking questions as well. And the questions are usually really about, okay, why am I feeling this? You know, where did it come from? You know, where do I feel it in my body? And that's a it's a, that's kind of a newer thing for folks, particularly if you're if folks aren't practicing meditation. It's like to to have an emotion and to, to be able to say, Oh, I am experiencing sadness. Mm-hmm. You know? And then to say, okay, but where is this sadness showing up in my body? Where am I Where am I feeling sadness? And that can be quite transformative hmm. for us, you know, because many of us are quite disembodied. So we're, we're not really in tune to the body. You know, we're not really in tune to physical sensations because we're, you know, often just living in our heads, right? Yeah. We're living in our minds. And we do that because the mind can move the, – well, the mind is quite versatile, right? So it can – the mind and our attention can be in the future. It can be in the past, right? Um, but we're training the mind and meditation to be in the present. Mm-hmm. You know? But when we look at the body, the body is just in the present. <laughs> you know, the yeah. body is not in the past, mm-hmm. not in the future. So when we actually begin to pay attention to the body – we will actually slow down. Like we will feel less effective um, and less impactful um, because the body is pulling us into the moment. Right. And so, and that the moment is important because everything's happening now in this moment. So, when you show up to the moment, you can see so much more, you can feel so much more. And that feels deeply liberating to know what's going on. With your mind and body, and you can pay attention to the to the spaces around you when you're in the present moment, you know, yeah. and 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 working through the body to feel things. When we have these experiences, like when we say we're overwhelmed, it's too much. Where we're overwhelmed and too, we feel overwhelmed, and that is too much. That comes from a, this this real experience of not being in tune to what's happening. Mm. You know, and, and not having the capacity to notice and to not react to what's happening f- for us in our minds and our bodies. And that's the key, to not react. And as we don't react, we begin to deeply experience ourselves. You yeah. know, and that and that's why I practice to experience myself.
1: Mm. Mm. And I think, I mean, I'll just share a personal story just because it makes me laugh. (laughs) But I was also, you know, I've been reading the book over the last few weeks and, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, it's obviously in your head and it's mulling around. And um, just to share with you, me and my husband are together and we're like in lockdown together Uh here in the UK. So, and we've basically been since March. So um, as much as we love each other very much, we're basically the only other two people we've seen for for a long time. Mm -hmm. It, It is... Uh, for me I bring some humor to it also just really helps because I think something would happen and then I go and then I can feel and for me how it shows up in my body is like my shoulders hike up to like the bottom of my ears my teeth clench down Mm -hmm. and then this little voice is like oh you're angry (laughs) and then I'm like ah that's so annoying and then I'm like oh my god okay and then and then and then the, the little voice goes like oh you're angry because you think that this is, you know, like, oh, you know, uh, you're worried about your professionalism, and your professionalism is related to your values. So you actually think that someone's just trying to vend you. That definitely not yes. what that you know. And it, it's so funny because I often just find myself sort of laughing because <laughs> it's so it's so ridiculous. Um, and and I think just to say that, like, for me at least, maybe it's because I'm I'm not a experienced practitioner or whatever, but <laughs> um, that that feel that energy doesn't go away, it, but it, it kind of like moves around your body, and at least for me. It comes out as laughter and it stops yeah. it becoming like a you know a poisoned arrow that goes straight yep. to my partner without me thinking about yep. it yep. so just to say that it's not like because my friend was like oh what are you just you know floating around you know you experience no anger I was like no but at least I I know I know I can feel a bit more that I know what it is when it mm-hmm. when it shows itself instead of just like lashing out and then feeling great for point three seconds and then yep. you know so yeah I just think thought showing up in your body thing is also is is a is an interesting way of like uh setting an internal alarm system to pick it up i guess
0: (laughs) exactly exactly like i can the very similar things happen in my practice where i may not be able to to identify the emotion but i can notice things in my body and say oh what am i feeling Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. you know and i'll just say you know. I, when you read the book like you'll know that like yeah I like hated meditation
1: <laughs> yeah. when I
0: started like I just because of that that this this basic thing of showing up it was just too much mm. you know and I think that's what many people experience when they start It's just like, oh my god, for the first time I'm paying attention and this is what I'm paying attention to you know um yeah. and often people say, you know, when I started meditating, it feels as if I'm hurting more. And it's not that you're hurting more, you're just noticing how you're hurting for the first time. Yeah, you know, and not reacting to it. You know, that's another really quite transformational experience is not to react to everything, but to feel it, you know, and that the level of agency that you gain from choosing not to react to something when you in the past have habitually reacted to everything yeah you know it's quite powerful to experience
1: yeah yeah i'd say it's a huge game changer um i always talk about it like the this this i don't know it's it's I kind of see it like a balloon and like something around a balloon. I haven't got a great Mm. metaphor for (laughs) this one, but it is, it's just that, that little split second for me is very, has been very much between um, being my feelings and noticing that I have feelings. That sort of, that was the big thing for me being like, Oh, I'm, I'm experiencing some, yeah, it's just that breath. It's just that little moment, that tiny gap of space between yourself and what's going on that can just be such a game changer. So finally, since Lama Rod seems to know ahead of time the guidance and love and storytelling we're going to need, I asked him what we can keep a look out for moving forward. Um okay, so moving so moving forward since you obviously have a um a, a prophetic <laughs> gift <laughs> for knowing what we're going to need um, I'd love to know what you're working on moving forward and, and, mm-hmm. and what you think about this this next chapter that we're going into.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think in terms of what we're moving into next, I think that we're moving into a great deal of exhaustion and trauma. Mm. Um, I think this year, and even quite frankly, all the years <laughs> leading yeah. up to this year, yeah. Um, but definitely topped off by this year has produced, you know, I would say, you know well, just reading just some literature coming out of like mental health um, communities is that you know we're looking at decades of trauma, yeah, um, from this year alone. And I think that in the future, I mean, next year as soon as we can, we we have to start shifting more towards care and and being more trauma-informed you know mm-hmm. and we're going to see it everywhere you know we're going to see it with kids who've had to go off you know have to, who've been doing school online and you know it's going to be felt by many of us who have been quarantined you know in our homes for like a year mm-hmm. you know and it's going to be felt by those who have survived Covid It's going to be fought by, you know, folks who have lost people to COVID, you know, let alone, like, all the other things people are still dying from, you yeah. know, and suffering with. Um, so I think we're going to be really trying to figure out, you know, how to take care of people, you know, um, moving into the years to come. And, and my personal work is really going to be about of course self care supporting folks in that way but I, I want to start thinking about how to s- offer people a vision of staying really active and mm. engaged in the world and still balancing that with care yeah um, as well so that's that's going to be um Really, the the subject of my next book
1: mm-hmm.
0: is creating an ethical framework for people to to continue to do really important work of liberation, but also doing really important work of taking care of themselves and those around them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think that's also something quite. Um, I well, again, this is uh, my my personal opinion but I think also this this year has highlighted the brutality of capitalism that we we all are very we we've all like known about but I think seeing it literally um being traded for lives in 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 certain situations um so my my uh, it's nice to hear that because I sort of I also have been thinking a lot about how worlds and communities and everything gets rebuilt after these moments of destruction and how hopefully we can do the work of that you know things will be built and destroyed and built and destroyed and begin and end and begin and end um Mm -hmm. but how yeah like the 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 more people who are thoughtful and kind and understand their anger and things like that the more they're involved with the rebuilding gives us a chance of it being a less sort of system that it has been
0: exactly yeah exactly
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. I really I appreciate so much that for you taking the time, and um, I can't wait to read the next one.
0: <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks again to Lama Rod Owens. You can find links to his book, uh, to his social media accounts, all the places that you can follow him in the show notes. Um, there's also um, his previous book, Radical Dharma which he wrote um which he co-wrote which is also about race and the dharma which is a great read obviously for our times as well so if you want to dive deeper into i mean we only really slightly touched on race in this one um but yeah great another great read from from him and his co-author who was reverend angel kyoda williams i hope I'm, i hope i'm saying that right kyoda so um, for reflections this week, I'm just adding a little reflections bit at the end here. So if people only want to listen to <laughs> Lama Rad, they can turn off now. Um, but if you want to hear my little reflections at the end, I'm going to uh, popping it at the end of the podcast. And I think what I just wanted to reflect on today is I'm coming nearer to the end of the season. We've got three more episodes to come before we wrap up for the year and i i keep saying we it is just me but we feels like you guys and me (laughs) so that's what i mean when i say we um three more episodes coming up um one on climate change one on grief and then a wrap up for the year and you know i know everyone sees intersections in their work and to be fair this is a really broad podcast so uh you know things are gonna intertwine but It's really been fascinating to see how much everything links together. So, I mean, this conversation with Lama Rod was so informed by the conversation I had the week before with Atega Yoagba. I've already done the interview with Chez Dunford, who's the one that's going to be about grief. Uh, So I had that in my mind while I was speaking to Lama Rod. When I think about death and grief, I also think about play and joy, and then that makes me think of... Harry Baker and Hester Chillingsworth. When I think about activism, I think about Yasmina Banani from Al Jazeera and, you know, someone like Andrew Harding and telling stories in a slower, more exciting way, you know, it, it's also linked. And what it's meant for me, I think, and I hope for you, is that talking about things and telling stories about things makes you feel less alone on the biggest issues of our lives you know um in a year of race and a year of death and a ra- year of grief and a year of fear i mean anger anger is showing up because there's so much fear i have found it a huge comfort to be able just to talk about it it means a lot to be able to talk about it to tell stories about it to look at it to connect and In a year where we've all lost a lot of control, I personally lost a lot of control, Um, what a time to also have the space and energy to reflect on things. So that's my little two cents at the end on this. Um, As usual, please email me any thoughts or questions that you have um, at uh, it's storytellerpod at gmail.com and on social media... um, Just search Storyteller Podcast and Lisa Golden to find me. Um, I've got like slightly different handles on Instagram and Twitter, which is very bad social media practice, I'm aware. But you know, you just do what you can do. And as always, I can't thank you enough for your time and your attention, your most valuable assets that you have. So thank you deeply from the bottom of my heart. And until next time.